0: Hey everybody and happy Friday evening to you. I am Jake Heller joining you for episode 6 of Jake's Take. Pleased to be joining you on this awesome Friday evening. And guess what guys, I have not one but two episodes for you this weekend with the doubleheader at Pocono Raceway. I just wish I could be there. So episode 1 tonight, preview of tomorrow's race at Pocono Raceway. And then episode 2 on Sunday morning, a recap of the Saturday race and a preview of the Sunday race. So we have a lot to talk about tonight. Thank you once again for all of your support and tuning in. Obviously tonight we're going to talk about Bubba Wallace, the emotional weekend that he had at Talladega Super Speedway, his best friend Ryan Blaney, the huge win that he had this past Monday at Talladega, and like I said a preview of tomorrow's race at Pocono Raceway and my pick for race one. So this past Sunday at Talladega Super Speedway, Mother Nature made a complete fool out of me. I told you guys in the podcast that there was 0% chance of rain. And then when you know it, as I put Fox on a little after 2.30, at Talladega Super Speedway, I see lightning and rain. And even though there was only a 6% chance of rain that Sunday at Talladega Super Speedway, I knew what was going to happen. No lights for whatever reason trying to start a race at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I I knew what was coming right then and there. And there were several times where it looked like they were drawing the track and they could have possibly gotten that race in on Sunday. Probably not the full distance, but nevertheless, at least halfway or the second stage. And then sure enough, just a little past five o'clock, once it started raining again and the lightning came once again, NASCAR had no choice but to pull the plug because they were gonna run out of daylight. Folks, I'm not gonna lie. This really, really infuriates me, these 3 o'clock start times. I cannot stand it. Long gone are the days back in the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, when you would have a race start at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. And it would be perfect if there was no weather that you had to worry about. That race would be over a little after 4 o'clock, a little after 4.30, obviously, depending on the track and the length of the race. But honestly frustrates me how TV gets to dictate these starting times anymore. Good example. Look at this weekend at Pocono Raceway. Seriously? You're having a doubleheader weekend. You're going to start the cup race tomorrow at 3.54. 3.54. And then on top of that, this Sunday, the cup race, guess what time that's going to start? 4.24. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you right now, folks, tomorrow or Sunday, or both of them. All it takes is just one rain delay, one lightning delay, whatever the case may be, just one delay, and that could ruin the entire weekend. One delay, and one of these races could be dark shortened. One delay, and you're possibly talking about having to race on Monday. So I do not understand for the life of me these tracks starting a race past 3 o'clock when there's no lights and there is a threat of rain. And I was listening to Door Bumper Clear, and Door Bumper Clear, it's essentially a spinoff of the Dale Jr. download, and it's Brett Griffin, Clint Boyer spotter, TJ Majors, who used to spot for Dale Earnhardt Jr., he now spots for Joey Logano, and Freddie Kraft, who is Bubba Wallace's spotter, and they talked about this, and Brett said the exact same thing that I did. And it's infuriating how Steve O'Donnell how he constantly tries to defend these starting times, saying, oh, well, there's no other major sports going on right now. We're trying to capitalize on a maximum audience. That's BS, folks. I'm not going to lie. There's no other way around it. TJ Majors and Freddie kraft they had a good point. Look at the NFL. Look at how at least a good 10 games every Sunday start at 1 o'clock. And people tune in all the time. The NFL is undoubtedly the most popular sport in the world when you think of it. So me and Sean Rozanski, we've said it so many times before, bring back 1 o'clock start times because this is a problem that NASCAR is starting to run into a lot. Whether it was Talladega, it could be this weekend at Pocono. Look at Michigan International Speedway last June. Look at that. No lights there, and it gets rained out, and you're starting the race at 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday. They were lucky that there was no delays. So... Just had to rant, folks. Just had to rant. (laughs) But of course, the biggest news of all, this past Sunday at Talladega Super Speedway, shortly before the race was postponed, it was reported to NASCAR that in Bubba Wallace's garage stall, one of his crew members, his truck driver, said that he found what looked like a noose. And of course, Bubba Wallace being the only African-American driver in NASCAR, and how he talked about how he wanted the Confederate flag to be banned just before the June 10th race at Martinsville Speedway. Obviously, this has been quite a month for NASCAR in terms of trying to fix their image. Because we all know how NASCAR, how they've always had that stereotype for such a long time of their fan base being a bunch of white racist rednecks, and that is not the case, folks. Believe me, that is not the case. And I try... This is a sports podcast. I try my best to steer away from politics. I am not an expert in politics whatsoever. But when NASCAR did announce that they were banning the Confederate flag from racetracks, honestly, I understood and supported their decision because it's like Bubba Wallace said, no matter what media outlet he was on, whether it was a Dale Jr. download or whether he was on the news, like Good Morning America, how... Here we are in 2020, and everyone should feel welcomed at a racetrack. So it's definitely been an emotional month for NASCAR and for Bubba Wallace. And I'll tell you what, regardless of whatever the report said, that was absolutely incredible what I saw this past Monday at Talladega Super Speedway, how all 39 drivers, all of Bubba Wallace's competitors, how they pushed his car to the front of the grid on pit road and how they all stood there with him in unity during the national Anthem and how Brad Keselowski, how he stood at the front of Bubba Wallace's car and how he held the American flag in the air during the national Anthem. How Richard Petty, Richard Petty, who is going to be 83 years old next week on July 2nd and has not come to a race ever since the pandemic happened. How Richard Petty came all the way from North Carolina, down to Talladega, Alabama, to show support for his driver, Bubba Wallace. Truly an emotional moment, an afternoon that will never, ever be forgotten in the 71-year history of NASCAR, no matter how you look at this entire situation. So it was definitely an amazing day for, for the sport on Monday. I know Steve Phelps, you know, he had that teleconference with the media yesterday, and how he talked about the report and how how he was saying that the 21 team, the Wood Brothers team, with Paul Menard last year before he retired, now with Matt DiBenedetto, but how they had that same garage stall this past October at Talladega Super Speedway, and when they looked in the garage area, they looked and thought what looked to be a noose. And here, you know, they were thinking, they really thought nothing of it. They thought maybe it just could have been like a, a rope to pull down the garage. So, like I said, definitely, definitely a tricky, tricky situation, however you look at it. But nevertheless, I've never been more proud of NASCAR, the drivers, the industry, the officials, the car owners, the crew members, how they all rallied around Bubba Wallace. And like I said, this is a sports podcast, not a politics podcast, but I think it sent a message not just to NASCAR, not just to the United States of America, but I think to the world in general, that we should all accept people for who they are, regardless of what difference they might have. So that's just the way I look at it. So Monday at Talladega Super Speedway, it did not disappoint whatsoever. 57 lead changes. And I was a little skeptical with the 510 horsepower package, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm hoping this isn't going to be like some sort of tandem racing like it was in 2010 or 2011, but it did not disappoint whatsoever. We didn't have that moment in the race where everyone would run single file by the wall for 20 some laps. Surprisingly, we didn't have the big one, but we did have plenty of lead changes. We did have plenty of side-by-side action. I don't know if that also had to do with the fact that weather was in the area, that they had to deal with that all day long. Because when it started raining about lap 55 or 56, I'm thinking, oh, my God, here we go once again. They're going to have to stay at Talladega and finish this on Tuesday afternoon. Because once again, here we go, a pop-up shower, 2.66-mile track. And it takes forever to dry these types of racetracks. But nevertheless, thankfully, it was a brief shower. They got the track dry. They were back to racing shortly after 5 o'clock. And Tyler Reddick. Winning the first stage once again, Talladega's Talladega, but this kid is absolutely impressing me in that number eight Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet to have led almost 20 laps and looking like he possibly could have scored his first win in the Cup Series for the second race in a row. But of course, the problem that Tyler ran into, that a lot of drivers ran into, was he was low on fuel there at the end. Obviously, that long, long green flag run to the end that it looked like we were going to have... Until three laps to go when Kevin Harvick and Jimmy Johnson got together going past the start-finish line. Kevin got into Jimmy just fighting over the same real estate with just a couple laps to go, trying to put yourself in position to win. So Tyler Reddick, Alex Bowman, a whole bunch of them, they had to come down pit road, get enough fuel to make it to the end. And unfortunately, Tyler did not get the finish that he deserved. He had a great car. Should have gotten the top five if not the win. And to finish 20th, nevertheless an outstanding job once again by this rookie. But Ryan Blaney, I told you guys for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks that him and Todd Gordon were getting close, and I told you that he was going to win this race. So let's see here. That's that's four out of five for me. <laughs> I picked Brad Keselowski for Bristol, Kevin Harvick for Atlanta. I screwed up royally at Martinsville picking Kyle Busch, who finished 19th, but... Denny Hamlin won Miami, and Ryan Blaney won Talladega. And the thing with Ryan Blaney, it's only the fourth win of his career, which is crazy when you consider all of the laps that he has led in his career. He's been in position to win so many races, it just seems like things never go his way. Whether it's getting passed late, getting caught up in a wreck, a mechanical failure, you name it, he's gone through it. Like at California Speedway, the only car that could pass Alex Bowman has a tire going now with just a couple laps to go. So the knock on Ryan or the, the knock that people have had on Ryan Blaney, those first three wins, Pocono in 2017, well, it's because Kyle Busch stayed out. The inaugural race at the Roval in 2018, well, you know Martin Trex Jr. and Jimmy Johnson they wrecked each other at the last corner. And then Talladega in 2019, well, you know it's Talladega. There was only half the field was left. You know he he passed Ryan Newman right at the last moment. But this past Monday at Talladega, regardless of what people may say or think, Ryan Blaney, without a doubt, was the class of the field on Monday at Talladega. He led 63 laps. He just missed out on winning that second stage to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. By, huh, seven one-thousandths of a second, I think it was. And sure enough, to come back around to save all that fuel that he had to at the end, and the charge that he made, the charge that him and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. made, And that last slap, how they ganged up on Kevin Harvick and Chris Buescher. Kevin Harvick was a sitting duck. Even with Chris Buescher pushing him and the two of them running first and second, there was no way in hell that they were going to hold off Ryan Blaney and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Ricky gave him one hell of a push going down the back straightaway. And sure enough, Blaney with the old crossover move going into turn three, majority of the field went with him. And then, of course, Eric Jones coming like a bat out of hell there at at the very end. And Blaney trying to do everything that he could to win that race. He got it in Eric just a little too much. But, hey, what a finish. Ryan Blaney beating Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for the win at Talladega by seven one-thousands of a second. You got to love it. Another classic Talladega finish. So classic. Eric Almirola in third spun across the line backwards. Backwards. And he still beat Denny Hamlin by, like, his rear quarter panel across the line for third. Denny Hamlin had a tire go down right before the rain came, right before the end of the first stage. Had a tire go down, hit the wall, was a lap down. Still came back to lead tons of laps and finished fourth. And I know Kevin Harvick, like I said, I was very skeptical about whether or not he would even be able to finish Talladega. Just his bad luck at Talladega, getting caught up in the big one. And for him to finish 10th, I know that has to feel like a huge relief to him. Rodney Childers and the four team with how much they've stubbed their toes these past two races in Martinsville and also at Miami. I mean, Eric Jones coming across the line fifth with the whole right side of the car beaten. John Hunter Nemechek hitting the wall, coming to the start finish line, finishing eighth. Right before Blaney bounced into Eric Jones and Eric Jones hit John Hunter Niemicek, John Hunter Niemicek was third. He had a shot to win that race. So absolutely incredible. Talladega did not disappoint whatsoever. And Bubba Wallace did an outstanding job on Monday considering the emotion that he went through for over 24 hours at Talladega Super Speedway. And he drove a smart race. He drove up, got some stage points, took the lead with 27 laps to go. And to finish 14th, I know it wasn't the finish that he won. He definitely had a top five car. Same situation just as Tyler Reddick and Alex Bowman. Same situation having to save fuel. But nevertheless, I think Bubba, I know that there's a lot of detractors but I also feel like he's gained a lot of fans and is also bringing a lot of fans into the sport. And just the emotion that he showed when Jamie Little interviewed him, how he went up to almost to the grandstands and was high-fiving all those fans. Definitely an emotional moment for sure. So the past couple of weeks I talked about Brad Keslowski, Jeremy Bolins, and the two crew. Seven consecutive top ten finishes. I said, well, if there's one place where the streak is going to be in jeopardy, it's definitely Talladega. And unfortunately, their streak did come to an end. They finished 19th, but it wasn't because they were caught up in the big one. Once again, it came down to none other than fuel mileage. I mean, God, who expected a fuel mileage race at Talladega, somewhat. Brad had a good car, not a great car. At one point, the Penske Trio and Matt DiBenedetto, who's basically a fourth Penske car, they're running one, two, three, four. But a majority of that leading was Ryan Blaney or Joey Logano. Brad's car could push really well. It just couldn't, he never got the lead. He did one hell of a job giving Joey Logano pushes, giving Ryan Blaney pushes, pushing the absolute crap out of him to get the lead. And that one time, Towards the end of the second stage, how he had Ryan Blaney sideways come through the tri and Blaney actually took the lead. And Blaney said on the radio, he said, listen, he said, all these pushes that Brad has given me, they're not hurting me. They're actually helping me. So an outstanding job by the Penske trio. I guess you could somewhat say the Penske quintuplet or whatever, if you want to count Matt to Benedetto. But same situation they didn't really have a good pit stop there at the end and it came down to saving fuel so things didn't work out for the two crew but nevertheless a fast car they still have momentum on their side and we're going to Pocono where Brad Keselowski won in August of 2011 with a broken ankle Jeremy Bollins his first win as a crew chief came at Pocono June of 2017 with Ryan Blaney the first win of his career as well So Team Penske, they definitely seem to run very, very well at Pocono Raceway, whether it's NASCAR or whether it was also IndyCar. When IndyCar would come up to Pocono Raceway, those Penske cars were always tough as well. So once again, Kyle Busch, the winless streak continues, as I predicted. But he wasn't caught up in the big one. He actually had a fast car, tons of stage points, led a few laps. But once again, it's just the bad luck continues having a tire go down and finishing 32nd. And of course, Kyle and being Kyle, you know, he had some very, very colorful words about it when the tire went down. So nevertheless, I would actually be encouraged instead of discouraged with how well they ran. I know it's Talladega and it doesn't really mean anything, but I feel like if there's one weekend where this winless streak could come to an end, it could be tomorrow. It could be Sunday if not this weekend, definitely Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I feel like Kyle Busch, Adam Stevens, and the 18 team, like the old saying goes, you know, you, you can't keep a good guy down for long. And they're the defending champions. They're the defending winner of tomorrow's race. Kyle Busch won this race last year, the June race at Pocono. Lit, was one lap away from leading exactly half of the race. So they are absolutely due for a win. And they drew fourth. But of course, another big story when it came to Talladega Super Speedway Chase Elliott versus Joey Logano, round three. And once again, they made a fool out of me. Oh, yeah, it's Talladega. I shouldn't really expect anything with, with Logano and Chase Elliott today. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. So Joey had a fast car. Once again, same situation, all came down to fuel. Chase Elliott had a really, really fast car, the defending winner of the spring race to Talladega. And in that third and final stage, he was making a charge. And Brad Keselowski was pushing him through turns one and two. And once again, what did I say? Joey Logano being Joey Logano, throwing stupid blocks at Daytona and Talladega when a car is going so much faster than him. He did it to Kyle Busch in the Clash took out all of those cars, including Brad Keselowski, and that resulted in some very, very tense moments I would imagine at Team Penske. So, same situation. Brad is pushing the absolute crap out of Chase Elliott, going down the back straightaway. And what does Joey Logano do? He slides right up in front of Chase Elliott, who was going so much faster than him. So, Brad Keselowski had no choice. It's either okay, like if I slow down, I'm going to get wrecked. And he got in the back of Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott hit the wall. Austin Dillon clipped him at the very last second. It infuriates me how people are trying to blame that wreck on Brad Keselowski when they don't even pay attention or take the time to realize that Joey Logano cut up in front of Chase Elliott just being stupid and reckless as usual. So, for Jeff Gordon and everyone else trying to pin the blame on Brad Keselowski, I think you should be pinning it on Joey Logano. And I admire Chase Elliott for how well he handled it. I don't know if I would have been able to to have handled it as well. I mean, we're talking about, okay, the Bristol incident was on Chase Elliott. You know, he screwed up three laps to go. You're trying to win at a short track of Bristol. Things happen. I could understand why Joey was pissed off. But at Miami, you're leading the race. You're just 30-some laps away from your second one of the year, and here's Joey Logano in a damaged car several laps down, holding you up, deliberately running whatever line that you were trying to run. And, of course, NASCAR does absolutely nothing about it whatsoever. So to have gotten wrecked because Joey Logano cuts up in front of you I would have been furious if I were Chase Elliott, and he handled it extremely well. Extremely well. So, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure there's going to be another chapter, especially when we go to Bristol for the All-Star Race. Picture of those two get into each other with just a couple laps to go once again, this time with a million dollars on the line, folks. A million dollars on the line. So, this feud is far from over, and it's getting uglier and uglier every single week. So tomorrow at Pocono Raceway, we have two races on tap. First off, we have the Gander Outdoors Truck Series at 12.30 on Fox Sports 1. Ross Chastain, the defending winner of that race, I'll tell you what, that was one of the coolest moments ever. Being at Pocono last year, seeing Ross Chastain absolutely crush the field in that truck race, he led all but five laps. I think it was, and the only laps he didn't lead was during the exchange of pit stops. So to see him win, and to see him get out of that truck and take a watermelon and smash it on the start finish line at Pocono Raceway, oh my God! That crowd went absolutely nuts when that happened. So Ross Chastain will be in tomorrow's truck race. As far as my pick to win. There's part of me that would love to pick him for back-to-back wins. But I feel like Brett Moffitt is due at Pocono Raceway. Due for 2020 more than anything. So I feel like Brett Moffitt is going to be my pick for the truck race tomorrow at Pocono Raceway. So then, 3.30, weather permitting. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> the Pocono Organics 3.25. 130 laps around the Tricky Triangle, Pocono Raceway. Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy with the call. 3.30 on Fox. The first stage ends lap 25. The second stage, lap 77. That's that's an odd number, lap 77. I don't understand the significance with that. You know, here you're thinking it would probably be like maybe lap 25, lap 75, something like that. That's definitely a very, very weird number. Obviously, the magic number for tomorrow with the uncertainty of the weather is lap 65. If they get to lap 65 and it starts raining, NASCAR, in their discretion, can call the race. So Eric Almirola drew the pole, but Eric Almirola does not have a single top-five finish at Pocono Raceway in his career. That's insane. As I said, Kyle Busch, he's the defending winner of this race, led almost half the race last year, beating Brad Keselowski and Eric Jones, his teammate, Chase Elliott and Clint Boyer, they rounded out the top five. The amazing thing about Kyle Busch that day, I will never, ever forget, when it was Brad Keselowski and Martin Truex Jr. side-by-side side for the lead, going down the Long pond straightaway. And here's Kyle, well back in third, going three wide into the tunnel turn under Martin Truex Jr. and Brad Keselowski, and making that pass stick and having the lead coming out of the tunnel turn. I will never forget just standing there watching it. And myself, just like a majority of the crowd, we were like, whoa. And that was a historic day for Kyle Busch, too. The 55th win of his career, tying him with Rusty Wallace for ninth on NASCAR's all-time win list. So, like I said, is tomorrow the day that Kyle Busch finally gets that first win of 2020? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow. I do feel like Kyle will run well. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes in the top five. But like I said, there's still something that is missing from that 18 team. So I don't know about tomorrow as far as Kyle Busch getting his first win of 2020. And there are so many contenders for tomorrow. Eric Almirola on the pole. Ryan Blaney in second at the track that he scored the first win of his career at. Not just Kyle Busch, but Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch, starting seventh, he has three wins at Pocono Raceway with three different teams, three different manufacturers, three different crew chiefs. He is an absolute freaking wheel man, just like his younger brother. To have won there in a Roush Ford with Jimmy Fenning, to have won there in a Penske Dodge with Pat and to have won there in a Stewart-Haas Racing Chevrolet, with Johnny Klossmeyer, who was not his regular crew chief at the time. Tony Gibson was suspended for that race. And Johnny Klossmeyer stepped up, was on the pit box that day, and Kurt held off Dale Earnhardt Jr., Brad Keselowski, and Chase Elliott for the win. Kurt has always been phenomenal at poking a raceway, so make sure that you have him in your lineup for tomorrow's race. Brad Keselowski, like I said, the win there in August of 2011 with a broken ankle, so many top five finishes there. And I know that a lot of them came with Paul Wolfe. But nevertheless, like I said, it's a great track for him, and it's a great track for Jeremy Bullens for His first win as a crew chief. So look out for all of the Penske cars. And Todd Gordon, I know that he never won there with Joey Logano. When Joey Logano won there, Joey Logano won at Pocono in June of 2012 when he was still with Joe Gibbs Racing, with Jason Ratcliffe as his crew chief. And there might have been a little bit of luck that went into it that day, whether it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. running out of gas or knocking Mark Martin out of the way with just four laps to go. But that was Joey Logano's last win with Joe Gibbs Racing. And it was a contract year for him. And that was really the only bright spot that he had of 2012, so much that Joe Gibbs wanted to send Joey back down to the Nationwide Series full-time in 2013. So my point is, with Everything that is going on with Brad Keselowski with his contract at Team Penske and the turmoil that there must have been at the beginning of the year with the crew chief changes, with with Joey Logano getting Paul Wolfe and the two crew, the incidents at Daytona, incidents, plural, not singular, whether it was the clash with Joey blocking Kyle Busch, whether it was the Daytona 500 with Joey pushing Eric Amaral into Brad Keselowski. My point is, Brad Keselowski was the one that walked into Roger Penske's office in 2012 and said, we need to hire Joey Logano for 2013 and put him in the 22 car. So I hope Joey Logano doesn't forget that, regardless of whether Brad Keselowski stays or leaves Team Penske at the end of 2020. So all three Penske cars, they are definitely going to be strong. Jimmy Johnson, three wins at Pocono Raceway. And how cool that they painted his name on the start-finish line of Pocono Raceway. It's definitely one of the coolest tributes that Pocono does every single year. They did it in 2015. They put Jeff Gordon's name on the start-finish line. 2016, it was Tony Stewart. 2017, it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Jimmy is going to have it the entire weekend since it's two races. You know, back then, you would have the June race, and then you would come back towards the end of July or the beginning of August. So very, very cool gesture by Pocono Raceway. I had a feeling that they were going to do that. Now, the other thing to keep in mind for tomorrow's race is the top 20 finishers. The top 20 finishers from this race will be inverted on Sunday. So basically, like let's say, let's say that Brad Keselowski wins the race and Ryan Blaney finishes second. That means that on Sunday, Brad will start 20th, Ryan Blaney will start 19th, so on and so forth. So my question is, tomorrow... If they don't have to deal with weather, and say if you're running about, I don't know, maybe 13th, 14th, 15th with just a couple laps to go, you're not really gaining any ground on the cars in front of you, do you deliberately drop back on purpose, try to fall all the way back to 20th to see if you can get yourself on the pole for Sunday? Think about that for a second. I would not be surprised if someone sandbags tomorrow towards the end of that race, the closing laps of that race. If they start dropping back, if they hit pit road, and the next thing you know, oh, look at that. Look at that. Austin Dillon finished 20th. He's going to be on the pole for tomorrow's race. Do not be surprised if something like that happens. It could even be a big name for all you know. Like, picture if Kevin Harvick or Kyle Busch, you know, if their car really isn't all that great. And Rodney Childers or Adam Stevens brings them down pit road next thing you know, yeah, okay, we finished 20th, but we get to start first on Sunday. You never know. The other thing to keep in mind with this doubleheader is if anything happens to that car tomorrow, if you hit the wall, if you blow an engine, guess what? You got to start at the very back of the pack, man. That's the way these rules are. That's the rules that have been tailored for this doubleheader weekend at Pocono Raceway. So whoever wins tomorrow, they can't do any burnouts. You do burnouts, you fry the engine, you gotta start at the very back of the pack. So there's definitely a lot of things to keep in mind. Like you can't unless you absolutely destroy your race car, then you have to go to a backup. If something is up with the engine, if if you blow the engine, okay, it's a backup engine, you gotta go to the back of the pack. Just like any other race. But you can't change you can't change the brakes. You can't change the transmission. You can make little adjustments here here and there, wedge, track bar, whatever you want to do. But like I said, these are the rules that you have to keep in mind for this doubleheader weekend at Pocono Raceway. And it's such a shame. It's such a shame that none of us could be there this weekend. For me personally, 33 consecutive races at Pocono Raceway from July of 2003 to July of 2019. So many amazing and incredible moments that I have witnessed up there. You know, I, I've seen Jimmy Johnson sweep up there in 2004. My first race up there, Ryan Newman won. I saw Carl Edwards win in his debut at Pocono, the very first time he ever went to that track. Denny Hamlin, the very first win of his career, when it seemed like it was 20 degrees outside, even for the middle of June, and, of course, Jeff Gordon, undoubtedly one of the worst accidents of his career when his brakes went out going down into turn one. And then a year later, Jeff Gordon, when his brakes were going out, but the race started at 5 o'clock because of rain, and he is trying his best to hold on to the lead, and here comes Ryan Newman like a bat out of hell. And here's the crazy thing about Pocono. They throw a caution flag. And I remember thinking to myself, why are they throwing a caution flag? I'm sitting in turn three. It's sunny. 7 o'clock at night, it's sunny, it's bone dry. I'm thinking, why are they throwing a caution flag? Sure enough, I take one look down towards turn one. Oh, that explains it. It's pouring down to turn one. And once again, 7 o'clock, no lights. About half an hour later, NASCAR had no choice but to call the race. Definitely one of the luckiest wins of Jeff Gordon's career, that's for sure. Tony Stewart, his very first win... Stewart haas racing as an owner driver and okay technically not a real owner driver like alan kawicki was where it was his own car his own budget his own team yeah i know that tony had a lot of help when he started from rick hendrick as far as the cars and the engines go but nevertheless for tony to have wrecked in final practice and be in a backup car and charge all the way up through the field and score the first win for that organization was absolutely incredible undoubtedly one of the most emotional moments was later that year, that August, Denny Hamlin winning just a few days after his grandmother passed away. Definitely a somber victory lane and one of the most emotional victory lanes that I've ever seen in my life. 2010 Casey Kane almost flying out of the racetrack and Kevin Harvick and Joey Logano almost having a fight on pit road. And you know, Tom Logano trying to get in the middle of the action and Joey, how he made the comment about Delana Harvick wearing the fire suit in the family. So there was that there was Jeff Gordon in 2011, the 84th win of his career, tying him with Daryl Waltrip and Bobby Allison on the all time wins list. And then, like I said, Brad Keselowski, August of 2011 with a broken ankle just days after his brakes failed at road Atlanta. And how he went out there, he overshot his pit stall the very first pit stop of the race. I'm thinking, oh, God. Like, they're, they're going to have to put Sam Hornish in the car. There is no way that he's going to be able to go 500 miles. But Brad Keselowski, being Brad Keselowski, that grit, that blue-collar racer that he has always been, fighting through so much pain, fighting through an ankle that was pretty much the size of a grapefruit, holding off Kyle Busch to win at Pocono. And I will never, ever forget how Jamie Little was interviewing him in Victory Lane. And the day before that race at Pocono, there was a Chinook helicopter that was shot down in Afghanistan. And several Navy SEALs that were on it were killed. And when Brad made the comment, he said, you know, I'm no hero. The heroes are the guys that died in Afghanistan this weekend. And I want to spend time thinking about them. And they were my inspiration, the things that those guys do. and He said, glad that we can win today, but... Those are the real heroes. I just drive race cars for a living. He gets it, folks. He gets it. To me, personally, a hero is someone that went to go fight for this country and died protecting our freedom. To me, that's a real hero. And for Brad Keselowski, that is pretty much the reason that he became my driver. Because he has, he has those same values those same morals and values when it comes to our military. So that explains it right then and there. And, of course, the other thing, that August race in 2011, the last 500-mile race of Pocono, but also the last race where the track was run under Doc Mattioli. And if it wasn't for Doc Mattioli, there would be no NASCAR in northeastern Pennsylvania. There wouldn't. He did so much to get that racetrack, to get NASCAR up in northeastern Pennsylvania. And it's so sad how just a few months after that, that he passed away at the age of 86. So all of us that love going to Pocono, really more than anything, we owe it all to Doc Mattioli. And the tributes that they had for him in June of 2012, the first 400-mile race of Pocono, it was absolutely incredible how they played taps since he served in World War II. Now, without a doubt, for me, the scariest moment that I've ever had a Pocono raceway August of 2012, and it had that eerie feeling to it when my dad and I drove up there and just seeing the sky look black, and it was shaping up to be a good day initially, so the race started at 3 o'clock because of the rain, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., it looked like something straight out of a video game, how he started 8th. He was into the top five by turn one. By lap 10, he's leading. The place is going absolutely nuts. He is pulling away from the field, and the transmission breaks about 20-some laps later. And my dad asked me, he said, do you want to go? I said, I said no. I said, it sucks, but we might as well just stay and see how this race plays out. And shortly after halfway, one of my friends texted me and said, be careful. It's nasty here in Nanticoke. Nanticoke is about 45 minutes south of Pocono. And my one friend said, it's heading right your way. And then sure enough, I took one look over at turn three and the sky was pitch black. And I thought, oh God. And it was Jimmy Johnson, Denny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth, the whole top five. They wreck going down in a turn one. And Jeff Gordon scoots through to get the lead. And then next thing you know, that pretty much the sky opened up. Huge, huge cracks of thunder. I actually like jolted when I heard it. And it wasn't long after that NASCAR called the race. But the sad thing is, 10 fans that were struck and one of them that ended up dying and that's why i'm so glad that nascar has implemented that lightning policy with the 30 minute lightning clock and what was scary was when i got before i got home my phone died and all my friends were wondering like are you okay are you okay and i didn't even know about the 10 fans and I, i when i texted them all i was like yeah i'm okay i'm like what's up and then that's how i found out about that and of course 2014 2014 June 8th, 2014, in his 15th season, Dale Earnhardt Jr. finally winning at Pocono Raceway. And just the energy of that crowd, how they were screaming those last five laps when he snuck underneath Brad Keselowski to take the lead and slide right up in front of him. That pass that he made on Brad, that seriously looked like a pass that his dad would make. So just that energy from the crowd, and then less than two months later, in August, coming back, taking the lead from Greg Bethel with 14 laps to go, once again, the crowd going absolutely nuts, and then a caution with Kurt Busch hitting the wall, and Kevin Harvick relentlessly hounding him those last three laps, and the place just screaming once again, and for Dale Earnhardt Jr. to do something that his father never did, and that's sweet Pocono Raceway, because his dad won at Pocono twice, just like he did but both times it was the July race. And here's a fun fact for you guys. Who has more top five finishes at Pocono Raceway? Dale Earnhardt, senior or junior Dale Earnhardt, junior granted. It's only one more Dale senior had 10 Dale junior had 11, but still pretty incredible to think about. Then, like I said, Martin trucks, junior, the emotional win in 2015, Matt Kenseth later that year when Kyle Busch and Joey Logano ran out of gas Chris Busher, probably like a 1,001 odds winning in the fog. Yeah, the fog. That's Pocono for you. <laughs> you don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. It could be sunny. It could be raining. You could get fog. You have no idea what you're in store for at the Tricky Triangle. <laughs> and then Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin could make history not once but twice this weekend. If Denny Hamlin wins at Pocono tomorrow, he will tie Jeff Gordon for six Pocono wins. Six. That's incredible. And of course, obviously, if Denny wins on Sunday, then he gets the record. Seven Pocono wins. Amazing. And it's pretty amazing to think that I was there for his first win, for all five of his Pocono wins, this past July. He was the winner of the July race. That's pretty much the race that'll be run on Sunday. To see him win a Pocono five times, whether it was in a Chevy, whether it was in a Toyota, whatever crew chief he has had, Denny has always been phenomenal at Pocono Raceway. So it sucks that he can make so much history this weekend, and I won't be able to witness any of it in person, but I guess that's the way things go sometimes. So without further ado, my pick to go to Victory Lane in tomorrow, the first cup race uh, this weekend at Pocono Raceway, the Pocono Organics 325. Like I said, there's going to be so many contenders and so many people are going to have a shot at this race. And also a couple dark horses too to think about. William Byron. William Byron won the truck race there in 2016. His rookie season in 2018, he finished sixth in the July race after having to start at the back for failing inspection. He was on the pole for the June race, led the first 20-some laps before finishing ninth. And in the July race, had to start the back once again for failing inspection and finish fourth. So Willie B, he's going to start 16th tomorrow. I mean, not bad, but not all that great either. But hey, if he was able to finish fourth after starting like 37th there back in July, that's actually my mom's pick for tomorrow is none other than Willie B to get the first win of his career. But my pick... After much thought and careful consideration. He's been second there multiple times. He won a truck race there in 2011. Second four times at Pocono Raceway. Once to Dale Earnhardt Jr., Martin Truex Jr. the following year, Ryan Blaney and Kyle Busch, both 2017 races. This guy is long, long, long overdue at Pocono Raceway, my pick to go to victory lane in tomorrow's first cup race at Pocono Raceway for the weekend, it is none other than Kevin Harvick. And like I said, ever since he won Atlanta, I know him, Rodney Childers, and the four team, I know that they've sort of stubbed their toes a little bit, whether it was the alternator at Martinsville or getting the damage on pit road at Miami. I know that they have gotten into a little bit of a skid. I mean, leading on the last lap of Talladega and having pretty much the whole field gang up on you, still got a top 10 when most times they they finish down in the 30s. I think that Kevin Harvick is long, long overdue for that elusive Pocono win tomorrow at the Tricky Triangle. It's pretty incredible to think that it will be his 39th cup race at Pocono Raceway. I mean, really, the only other ones that come to mind, I mean... Dale Hart Jr. made his debut there in June of 2000 and didn't win there until June of 2014. Ricky Rudd. Ricky Rudd started going to Pocono in the late 70s. And the only time that he won there was Father's Day in 2001. So I think that Kevin Harvick is long, long overdue for that first Pocono win tomorrow. And, you know, it's just insane, like the amount of memories that there has been at Pocono over the years, whether it was... Bobby Allison or Tim Richmond winning three in a row there in the 80s. Dale Earnhardt knocking the hell out of Alan Kowicki, the last lap of the tunnel turn in 1987 to get his first one of Pocono. Both of Dale's Pocono wins, July 1983, just five days after Davey Allison passed away and taking that 28 flag for a victory lap around the track and how he said if he had to finish second that day in order to bring Davey back, he would have done it in a heartbeat because Davey was like a little brother to him. They used to go hunting and fishing together all the time. And I guess you could say over the last 19 years, they've been doing a lot of hunting and fishing up in that great big sky. And then, of course, Jeremy Mayfield, the very first win of his career, 1998, passing his childhood hero, Daryl Waltrip, when Daryl was at the very, very end of his career. And then two years later, when he knocked Jeremy Mayfield, knocking Dale Earnhardt out of the way the last turn at Pocono Raceway, and how going down the Long Pond straightaway after the race was over, how Dale told him that he was number one. <laughs> so a lot of great moments of poking a raceway. I just wish I could be there tonight, tomorrow, Sunday, to witness even more awesome moments. So, like I said, my pick to go to Victory Lane, the number four Bushbear Ford of Kevin Harvick. So that is gonna do it for episode six of Jake's Take. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Be on the lookout this coming Sunday morning for Episode 2, a full recap of all the action tomorrow at Pocono Raceway, and a preview of all of Sunday's action at Pocono Raceway. Have a great night. Y'all take it easy.